What is going on, OWS fam? Welcome to the week 17 edition of the OWS Angles podcast. I am your host. I am your guest. I am JM to win. Throw this baby on 1.5x speed and let's dive in. First off, apologies if there are any sort of random breaks in this one. I will try to avoid coughing in your ear. Um, Pretty cool, actually, the way that this week worked out. Uh, Of course, this is me trying to find silver linings in everything and being positive. But the... It's a big slate, 14 games, and my whole family got sick on Tuesday. I was in my worst state on Wednesday, and then on Thursday, when I would typically typically be writing up my interpretations for the NFL Edge, uh, Abby basically couldn't get out of bed all day. So I had both kids who were also both sick, which um, was pretty hands-on because of the emotional breakdowns that come with being a, a three-year-old or one-year-old being sick. So because of that, I wasn't able to be on my computer as much on Thursday, but that allowed me to spend a lot more time than I normally have on Thursday working through the slate and actually working through all the player combinations and the ways that the different games could play out. So basically, uh, I still was able to put in my normal amount of work time. I just couldn't be on the computer, which meant that instead of using that time to type up stuff, I was able to use some extra time to really think through things. So uh, that works out actually pretty well for all of us because on a 14-game slate, one of the toughest things is narrowing down the slate. In fact, before doing any research, before reading the NFL Edge, on Monday, Tuesday, I was kind of poking around on the slate and having a really hard time finding entry points, so to speak, having a really hard time finding ways to make the slate flexible for myself. So having that Thursday, it was actually a kind of a throwback to my early days in DFS 2014, 2015, when I would use Thursday to just spend a ton of time getting to know the slate, which, um, you know, helped me do my best play and provide my best content in my opinion. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to this week and it's a really fun week. 14 games, um, seems like about 20% of the country is sick, and I don't think that's an exaggeration. And on top of that, we've got New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. So it's another week where we will have competition that is A, presented with a tougher slate than they're used to with 14 games, and B, maybe not on top of their game, right? It's late in the season. It's week 17. They've been going through this for 16 weeks already. They're sick. They know people who are sick. They're taking care of people who are sick. They've got the holidays and everything. So uh, that def- definitely gives us an edge. And we've seen that play out over the last, well, let me say it like this. Uh, one of the things that I thought was really cool last week was in Poppy's write-up for the Eagles game. And Jalen Hurts was going to be popular, right? And Poppy dove into the fact that Jalen Hurts probably wasn't going to throw the ball a lot. And his bigger games had come in these more dynamic roles for him where he had had to throw the ball, run the ball, kind of put everything together. He'd had only one big game where he hadn't been passing the ball. And that was that game against Washington where he had two rushing touchdowns. And then we go over to the uh, Bengals-Ravens game, which I think Mike wrote up that game and basically dove into, hey, here are the Bengals' tendencies. Here's how they like to win games. They like to keep the ball on the ground. They like to control the game. But also... Here's what they did last time against the Ravens, and here's what they could be doing this time against the Ravens. And I kind of elaborated on that in my DFS interpretation and in the player grid, and uh, I believe we talked about that in the Angles pod as well. And what we see is the deeper we get into the season, the more of an edge we have by playing the way that we play. And I don't just mean playing with better DFS theory and better roster construction and all of that. That gives us an edge all the time. But on top of that, we think so much more than the field does about coaching tendencies and game flow and how this game is likeliest to play out and what that means for usage and production and ceiling and percentage chances of reaching that ceiling. And so as we get deeper and deeper into the season, we have more and more information to lean on in those areas and our competition that is just looking at matchups, right? Oh, this is a smash spot. This is a bad defense. This is a good running back. Uh, this team's bad at stopping the pass and this is a good quarterback, right? The, all of our competition that's looking at that like sort of layer one or layer two stuff, and we're down here in layer three, layer four, 
we're gaining an edge and the deeper into the season, the more pronounced that edge becomes. So we've seen that last couple of weeks, which have been pretty huge weeks for OWS across the board. And this is another week where we should be in good position to take advantage of some of these things. So we are going to kind of talk about the slate a little bit, talk about the, or go through the bottom up build. Uh, and that should do, that should be the angles podcast this week. Again, sorry for my um, my brain not being at its sharpest. Uh, one thing I want to hit on before we dive in, this is the last week that the OWS for life membership is available for purchase to inner circle only. So we started out with 200 of these available. There are 86 of them left. So next Thursday in the angles email, we will open this up to all users. Now, if you're in Inner Circle and you've been thinking, yeah, I'd like to pick up OWS for life and you haven't made a move yet, I wouldn't expect that all of these are just suddenly going to fly off the shelf next Thursday. So you should still have a little bit of time, but there are probably a lot of people who didn't commit to Inner Circle this year and are thinking about picking up Inner Circle next year for $179. Well, those people are probably going to see it as a pretty good deal to pick up OWS for life that includes Inner Circle for $3.99. So I do think that we'll see uh, an extra little wave of purchases on this. Again, we sold like over 60 of these in the first two days that we opened it up to Inner Circle. So I don't think it's going to be quite like that, but we are probably going to be down to about 75 or so by next Thursday. Again, we're at 86 right now. So if you've been thinking about picking up OWS for life, again, it's $3.99, which basically means that if you're using OWS for more than two or three seasons, you are getting the rest of your OWS subscription for the rest of your life for free. With that, let's dive into this week's slate. So it's an interesting slate, 14 games. We've already touched on that. But also I mentioned this in the angles email and I'll hit on this again in the player grid. Uh, or actually I hit on this again in the Oracle. I probably don't hit on this much in the player grid, but sorry. Um, but not only 14 games, but only two games with an over-under north of 46.5. So the example I used in the Angles email was that when we put together that first peak podcast, what we were saying was, hey, there's these games in the 47 to 49 over-under range that are typically the fourth or fifth highest total game, and they just kind of go overlooked. And those games are still capable of going for 65, 70 combined points. In fact, early in the season, Larejo kept highlighting and hammering games in this 47 to 49 range, which was the overlooked games range. With the way that we talk about all the time, right? The NFL is dynamic. Teams are always adapting. They're always adjusting. We've talked a lot this year about the way that running back usage has changed over the years. Well, one of the things that we're seeing this year is lots of teams saying, look, we've got these these powerful teams in the, the Chiefs, the Bills, and then there's a trickle down from there of other teams who are similar to this, that they're not really focused on running the ball. They're just focused on passing and they want to attack at all levels of the field. So let's take away the deepest part of the field. Let's force them to be a little bit more one dimensional and let's see if they can beat us by long drives and by running the ball. Now, the ebb and flow of these types of things is that the Bills are going to start figuring out ways to break through this. The Chiefs are going to start figuring out ways to break through this. It's not going to hold them down forever. We're already seeing that. But what this has led to is teams running the ball more and has led to teams attacking downfield a little bit less. And so just across the board, we're having lower scoring games. Add in the longer season, teams lightening the workload a little bit due to the longer season. And it's not just the longer season with the 17th game, but if you're a top team that could have had the number two seed before and had a bye week, well, now you've got that extra game as well. If you are the seventh seed and wouldn't have made the playoffs before, now you have that extra game as well and the chance to go deeper into the playoffs. So there's just a lot of opportunities for extra games and teams are managing workloads based on that. And then on top of that, we've had a pretty injury-laden season and then all of the COVID issues. So this has led to lower scoring across the board. What that means is if a team does go for a huge output it's really tough to win the slate without that team. Let's look at week 16 when the Bengals put up another huge game against the Ravens. Joe Burrow passed for 525 yards. I believe it was the third most passing yards in NFL history, fifth, fourth most passing yards in NFL history, something crazy like that. And 
we saw 200 plus point scores littered across the tops of the leaderboards. But if you weren't on that game, it was going to be really tough to get a 200 plus point score because the slate as a whole was another lower scoring slate. So even this week where we've got 14 games, if you're focused too heavily on the games that might go, where a team might go for four touchdowns, might go for three touchdowns, might go for four touchdowns, but doesn't really have a shot at getting those five touchdowns, six touchdowns. And if there is a team, now that's not guaranteed that there will be, but if there is a team that goes for six touchdowns or five touchdowns, you're going to be in really tough shape trying to chase that team. So one of the things that I'm looking for this week is... What are the teams that can significantly outproduce the other teams on the slate? Now, we're always looking for that, right? But this week in particular, it becomes especially important that if there is a team that outperforms all the other teams, that you're on that team. 28 teams on the slate instead of 22, as we've had for most of this season. So that means that ownership is actually going to get spread out a little bit more, which means that even fewer people will be on those spots that hit big. And again, most of these games are projected to be lower scoring. So if you're on one of these lower scoring games, one of these lower scoring teams, maybe you get your 18 points, your 20 points, your 22 points, but maybe you block yourself from somebody who could have gotten you 30, 32, 35, 40 points. So Keep your eyes open for the opportunities for these higher scoring teams. The next thing I want to mention is, as we've talked about over the last several weeks, pricing is no longer dynamic. So if Mahomes, Kelsey, Hill, for example, if they post one of their solid games, you're still not getting anywhere close to what you need at their price tag. Now, the the dynamic pricing doesn't really match up here because the matchup isn't particularly difficult through the air. But just in terms of like understanding where a player is actually priced and what you're getting from them. So I say that to say, if the 49ers, for example, score four touchdowns and the Chiefs score five, Trey Lance could end up being just as powerful or even more powerful than some of these Chiefs pieces. So Pay attention to these, not just these games that could go off, but also these teams that could score four or more touchdowns. And then also think about the price tags you're paying. So going back to the discussion about, you know, okay, how are the, how is Jalen Hurts and the Eagles going to attack this last week in week 16? How are Burrow and the Bengals going to attack in week 16? Well, how is Josh Allen going to attack this week if the Bills end up beating the Falcons in a blowout? That's something that Hilo explored in the NFL Edge write-up for this game, is the Bills' tendencies in close games versus big wins. There's been, I think, one blowout win this year where Josh Allen actually kind of torched the opponent. The rest of the big wins that the Bills have had, they've kind of spread the ball out. Josh Allen's had his solid game, right? But he's not putting up his 35 to 40-point games. So pay attention to the price tag you're paying as well. Is Josh Allen with basically the same Vegas implied team total as Patrick Mahomes an equal play to Patrick Mahomes? Probably not because Patrick Mahomes is in a game environment that's much more likely to become back and forth, which means it's much more likely that he ends up putting up a four touchdown game through the air with, you know, maybe 20, 30 rushing yards to boot. So think about these things this week. We laid out the there's six teams with these high Vegas implied team totals. It's the Cowboys. It's the Chiefs. It's the 49ers, it's the Patriots, and it's the Bucks. Did I miss a team in there? The, <laughs> um, the Bucks, the Patriots, the Chiefs, the Cowboys, the 49ers, and the Bills. So in these teams that might just blow out their opponent, the Bills, the Bucks, we have to think about where these players are priced and what they're going to be doing deeper into those games. Uh, compared to these teams like the Cowboys or the Chiefs that could be in a close game deeper into the game and could be forced to keep being aggressive deep into the fourth quarter, or these teams like the 49ers where you can get kind of cheaper exposure to the points that could be scored. So think about those things as you go into this week. Then there's also kind of teams like the Chargers, the, the Rams that are also pretty high upside offenses and very much worth considering this week. I won't be on the Chargers, but I will be considering the Rams. Uh, last note on this is uh, this Bucks offense. So now we have, well, we have a lot in the air on Mike Evans. Um, people are saying he could be doubtful. The Bucks are trying to posture as if he could be playing. 
Antonio Brown is now, it's come out today on Friday that Antonio Brown could be a game time decision. And so there's a lot up in the air for this Bucks offense and how they attack the Jets will be heavily determined by who the healthy bodies are. So that's one team that I'm not going to spend a lot of time on today. As with the last few weeks, I will have an update to the player grid on Sunday morning, potentially even Saturday night, but definitely Sunday morning before inactives are announced. And I'll have some thoughts in there on the Bucks offense and how they might be attacking the Jets in this spot. Because we could see Brady throw the ball, you know, if Antonio Brown's out and Mike Evans is out, we could see Brady throw the ball only 28 to 30 times, and we could just see the Bucks relentlessly attack on the ground. Uh, we could see them attack on the ground relentlessly with a split between Vaughn and Ronald Jones. And so there's a lot of interesting things to play around with there. As in, you know, last week, Vaughn played... 48% of the snaps, Ronald Jones played 52%. So it wouldn't be that shocking if Ronald Jones sees about 22 touches and Keyshawn Vaughn sees 16, 17 touches, something like that. So uh, that all depends on the health of these various players. So there's a lot to pick through there. Uh, so we'll wait on that. But the rest of this slate is pretty clear to me. And again, I really like the way that this slate's coming together. And I really like the way that this slate sets up for finding paths to 200 plus points on a slate where most games won't provide that type of path. So what we'll do as always is we'll sort of talk through the slate through the lens of the bottom up build. If you are new to OWS, if you, if this is your first angles podcast, first off, I apologize for the less fluid nature of this one. Usually I'm a little bit more sharp on my toes. Uh, is that even a saying? <laughs> um, I apologize um, for kind of the the ruptured setup this week. But what we do in the Angles podcast is we kind of talk about the slate and talk about the strategy a little bit. But our main focus is on the bottom up build. And what the bottom up build is, is we build with a 44k salary cap. And we assume that everyone else would be building with a 44k salary cap as well, which allows us to not only find some strong value plays, and not only, we talk, we've talked about this the last few weeks, just building for, with a different salary cap, even if it's a higher than 50K salary cap, allows you to see different angles on the slate that you might not otherwise have seen and allows you to see ways to put things together on your real 50K salary cap roster. Uh, and then finally, because we're, we're assuming that everybody has a 44K salary cap, it allows us to talk through DFS theory and how we would play things strategically in order to try to outmaneuver everybody else who also has this 44K salary cap. So one of the things that has stood out to me this year that I thought was really sharp, so Dustin in the reflection scroll at the start of the week breaks down the bottom-up build winner for the OWS bottom-up build Contest. The OWS bottom up build contest, if you don't typically play it, it's linked in the player grid near the top, uh, right above or below the Angles podcast, but right below the bottom, the bottom up build where the bottom up build is listed. Um, and everybody has a 44K salary cap, and we give out edge points to first place, which means you can buy free marketplace courses if you finish near the top. Um, but the one of the things that stood out to me in that contest and in Dustin breaking down that contest is a lot of people being sharp enough to fit in Derrick Henry under their 44K salary cap on big Derrick Henry weeks or fit in Cooper Cup or fit in Tyree Kill or fit in some of these guys that you wouldn't typically think of putting in on a 44K salary cap roster. So what this does is two things. One, it gives you a different roster construction in a contest where most people are going to be thinking pretty middle of the road. But two, it also illustrates something that's important, and that is... If we have a week where none of the high-priced players go for 40-plus points, you can build kind of a middle-of-the-road roster. There's a lot of 6K guys, low 7K guys, sometimes 5K guys who can put up 30 points. And so you can get one of these sort of strong across-the-board rosters where all your players can put up 30 points, and if everything comes together, you're now sitting at 180 points between before defense special teams because you averaged 30 points per player across your roster. Uh, that was bad math there. That's another uh, slow brain move today. But that would be 240 points if you actually average 30 points per player across your roster. But you're not going to average 30 points per player across all eight players on a middle-of-the-road roster. But let's say you average 25 points and you get a bunch of 30-pointers and some 20-pointers and you come out to about 200 points even before defense special teams. But on those weeks when 
one of these big games hits. One of these guys goes for 40 points. One of these guys goes for 50 points. The Devontae Adams, the Cooper Cups, the Jonathan Taylors, and back in the day, the Christian McCaffreys. When that happens, it's going to be hard to win without that player. And salary multiplier on your cheap guys is going to matter a lot more. What I mean by that is finding a 4K guy who goes for 15 points, it doesn't matter that that guy didn't really help you win the slate. In fact, the because the salary is so low, the multiplier doesn't your score doesn't change that much for a 3x multiplier versus a 4x multiplier. So typically speaking, if if you've got a 9k player and he hits 3x, that's 27 points. If he hits 4x, that's 36 points. So if we think of things through that lens, right, we want that 4x over that 3x. But if we get down to these cheaper guys, say a guy who's 3,700, somebody we'll talk about here in just a moment. Well, if this guy goes for 4x, that's about 15 points. If he goes for 3x, that's about 12 points. So the difference between getting 3x and 4x isn't that great in raw score. So what I mean by that is even one of these cheap guys getting 3x, but opening up opportunity for you to get this expensive guy who goes for 45 or 50 points can make a bigger difference than just finding those middle of the road pieces. It allows you, it unlocks these expensive pieces. So one of the things that's been cool about the people who have built the bottom-up builds in in this way, I remember one particular week that stood out to me, and I wish I could give credit to the winner from that week, but I don't remember who it was, uh, or even who the high-priced player was. But I think the high-priced player was Derrick Henry, and then they had Donovan Peoples-Jones. And Donovan Peoples-Jones was 37 or 3,900 or whatever it was, and put up 21 points. But it wasn't the 21 points from Donovan Peoples-Jones that won the bottom-up build for them. It was the fact that that Donovan Peoples-Jones play unlocked the expensive player who could put up 40 plus or whatever it ended up being and just blow away everybody else on the slate. So that's something that you can carry over to main slate builds, but also something that you can practice with in these bottom up builds. A next layer here. There are not many stacks that can keep you on a 250 point pace. It's just, it's just tough to find that. There are not many stacks that can keep you on a 250-point pace. There's not many stacks that can even keep you like three-player stacks that can keep you on a 200-point pace, especially this deep into the season. Go through game logs and see how many times this has happened. Go through game logs and do the math and see what you would need and then calculate what type of production you would need. It's very rare that we see a team, a quarterback, plus two pass catchers, this deep into the season when pricing has kind of gotten to where it should be capable of putting up 4x across the board, let alone going north of 4x. I highlight that because, so we, we talk about DraftKings prices players so that, and let me pause real quickly, because this, um, I feel maybe it hasn't felt like this listening to this, but my brain is a little bit slower today. So it feels like today's Angles Pod has been a little less streamlined and a little more hectic. So we're kind of moving into what I think is some of the most valuable stuff um, for this week's slate. So if you have kind of been tuning out off and on because my mind is not as sharp as normal, tune in right now. Okay, so we talk all the time about that DraftKings prices players, generally speaking, in such a way that they will go for 4x their salary 25% of the time. This is a general rule. There are broad exceptions to this, okay? But generally speaking, what we're going to see over time is that a player's standard pricing range is set at a place where they will go for 4x their salary 25% of the time. If it's a player who can go for like Jamar Chase, right? He's had these 36, 39-point games and then a bunch of like 11-point games. So he hasn't gone for 4x's salary 25% of the time, but he's gone for well over 4x's salary on the times when he's hit. So because of that, you have to kind of pay a premium for those big blow-up games that he can have while taking on a lower floor. All of these things are worth keeping in mind when we're figuring out who we want to put on our roster and is very much worth keeping in mind for what we're about to talk about right here. If I told you that you could spend 23K in salary, if you could roster a player Let's say it like this. If you could roster a player who cost 23K, 
So almost half of your salary cap. And that player was going to go for 4x their salary 25% of the time. Would you roster that player? What happens is if that player misses, this 23K player misses, and they go for two and a half X their salary, well, you're in trouble. You're not winning first place on that slate. But if any of your players fail, well, you can usually take one one semi-dud in a tournament. But if any of your stacks fail or if any of your expensive players fail, you're not winning first place in a tournament. So really the concern about a 23K player who who will go for 4X 25% of the time, the only concern would be, well, now I'm even less likely to cash if they miss. So, you know, Jonathan Taylor, he's going to go for 4X 25% of the time. Cooper Cup's going to go for 4X 25% of the time. You don't roster that player and think, yeah, but if he misses, I'm spending a lot of salary on this guy and I probably can't get to first place because... Jonathan Taylor's still probably going to score 20. Cooper Cup's still probably going to score 20. And you're still going to be in position to cash. But you're not getting first place. If Cooper Cup scores 20 points, if Jonathan Taylor scores 20 points, and you spend that much salary on them, it's almost guaranteed that you're not getting to first place. So the concern, the only concern on spending a bigger chunk of salary cap, and oh, if they miss, well, now it craters 23K worth of salary. The only concern is cashing. And cashing shouldn't be our goal. Cashing shouldn't be our focus. First place should be our focus. For first place, the more of your salary cap that you can lock in for a 4X multiplier, the better position you are in. So if this wouldn't happen, but if there were a player who cost 23K and would go for 4X their salary 25% of the time, it would be extremely sharp to play that player, especially if that player were 5% owned or lower, 6% owned or lower, 7% owned or lower. I mean, can you imagine getting a player that is as powerful as, as Cooper Cup plus Jonathan Taylor plus Deontay Johnson combined, right? I mean, that's about the salary that we're talking about here. It's slightly off, but that's about the salary that we're talking about here. And getting that player for five, six, seven percent ownership. Now, yes, when that player misses, you're probably not cashing. But if that player hits, you're in great shape for first place. You're competing against, especially on a week like this, where most scoring will be down. Most games won't produce players and scores that can keep people on a 200-point pace. You're going to be competing against 5%, 6%, 7% of the field for first place if that player hits. So who is that player? That player is Patrick Mahomes plus Travis Kelsey plus Tyreek Hill. Four times this season, that combo has kept you on a pace of 190 to 210 points. In fact, it's like 191.5 two times and then 200 plus two other times. So 190 to 210 points from this four-player combo that costs 23.4K in salary. But then how about this? What if you had a player that cost 29.2K in salary and could keep you on a 200 plus point pace? That player is Travis Kelsey plus Daryl Williams plus Travis Kelsey plus Tyreek Hill. Two times in the Chiefs' last six games. Mahomes, Kelsey, Hill, and the Chiefs lead back would have kept you on a pace for over 200 points. One of those was Daryl Williams putting up 30 plus points. One of those was Clyde Edwards Hilaire putting up like 10 points. But just throwing this salary in, just throwing this extra player in and saying, let's just take the whole offense, right? If Williams puts up 32 points, that's taking away a little bit from Kelsey and Hill. But as long as this offense as a whole is blowing up, as long as this offense as a whole is having a big game, I am keeping this 200 plus point pace with this massive, massive, massive chunk of my salary. Now, things also get interesting here in something that we talk about a lot, which is the positional strength. The value of Travis Kelsey isn't that he puts up 20 plus points. The value of Kelsey is that he puts up 20 plus points at a position where 
a lot of the cheaper options are not going to put up more than six, seven, eight points. And a lot of the mid-priced options are going to fail just as often or, or more just as often as or more often than they hit. In fact, these guys like Zach Ertz, now this is um, Thursday night, but Zach Ertz on Thursday night ownership projections sort of industry-wide was projecting as the highest owned or second highest owned tight end on the slate. Well, he has one game of 28 points and everything else this season has been like 11 to 13 to 16 points. You're paying a premium to get 11 to 13 to 16 points. That's not worth it. So the value, again, the value of Travis Kelsey is not just the 20 plus points he can get you, but the fact that he can outscore all these other tight ends. He can kind of bury all these other tight ends. So one thing that you could ask this week is, does that go away a little bit with 28 teams on the slate? Are there some cheap tight ends that you could feel comfortable with? For example, for example, Foster Moreau, how many times have you considered a tight end against the Colts because we know that the Colts fundamentally are designed to filter targets to tight ends and then said, eh, no, like uh, this isn't, this tight end isn't that heavily featured. Let me not play him. And then that player ends up having a much bigger game than normal because they're playing the Colts. It happens all the time over the last few years. So Foster Moreau is one to keep keep in mind. Going back to what we talked about earlier, how are teams going to attack? In this week's NFL Edge, I think Poppy wrote up this game. He explored that the uh, that the Raiders are that much more likely to attack through the air this week because of how good the Colts' run defense is and because the Raiders have been pass-leaning this season to begin with. So players like Zay Jones, players like Foster Moreau become very interesting this week because they're cheap players who could see a lot of targets. Foster Moreau in particular, because Moreau could end up having this elevated target share this week in a spot where if the Raiders are passing 38 to 40 times, he could see eight, nine targets with touchdown upside, right? So something like six catches for 60 yards and a touchdown wouldn't be outlandish at only 3,800. So uh, there are also ways to think about saying, Travis Kelsey actually tends to, he has that 44-point game under his belt, but Travis Kelsey actually tends to lower the multiplier of this, this Chiefs stack more often than not, because typically he's getting you 3x, 3.5x, and the value isn't his 4x so much as it is, again, that he's just outscoring all these other tight ends. So another thing that you can consider is going with Patrick Mahomes, Daryl Williams, and Tyreek Hill. That combo, that uh, Mahomes-Hill-Chiefs-lead-back combo, has combined for, I think it's 210 to 250-point pace two of the last six weeks. We also have the fact that Daryl Williams saw 19-plus touches, I think it was in four out of five games with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire hurt earlier in the season. Now, all of this is being said, assuming that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire misses this game. He has not practiced all week. Andy Reid is still giving him a shot to play. Daryl Williams will probably become relatively popular if, because we have enough time for people, I'll say it like this, a lot of times game time decisions, those players don't end up being popular because people don't, they want to set their rosters. They don't want to have to wait. But Daryl Williams is in a non-restrictive price range. And the news is coming out early enough that content providers will be able to talk about it throughout the weekend, talk about how well Williams sets up in this spot if he ends up getting all the work. And so people will be ready to pivot to that roster on Sunday morning. So I don't expect him to go overlooked. I don't expect Hill or Mahomes to go overlooked, but I expect them to be lower owned than some of the other spots in this slate. And I expect the full stack to be much lower owned than it should be. I expect the full stack, again, when we talk about the percentage chances of this team of this stack going for 4x and you getting this huge chunk of salary that goes for 4x uh it it becomes pretty apparent that this is one of the sharper ways to build on this slate another thing i want to mention we talked about moreau we talked about zay jones so there are some pretty key spots in the slate right there's the cowboys cardinals game can the cardinals keep pace if the Cardinals keep pace, let's say that early ownership projections have Dak at like 15% owned and uh, Kyler at like 5% owned, and they're basically the same price. Well, if the Cardinals are keeping pace, Kyler probably is picking up more points with his legs than Dak is. And with Chase Edmonds, the running back, instead of James Conner, the Cardinals are passing more then the Cowboys will be passing. So one way to play that is to stack the Cardinals side to do something a little bit different, um, and you can stack... Kyler with Christian Kirk, 
or Kyler with AJ Green or Kyler with both or Kyler with Chase Edmonds and one of those wide receivers. All of those have potential for 4X. I would put it at like 10 to 15% shot at hitting 4X. So not quite the 25% that a standard player would be priced at, but still solid stacks this week, stacks that I'm considering this week. And then we've got the Jonathan Taylor setup, the Cooper Cup setup, and the Chiefs Bengals game. So let's talk about those last three, and then we'll get to the bottom-up build, which we should run through pretty quickly because we've covered a lot of the things that are on this bottom-up build, as you might expect. So those three things, starting with Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor is probably going to have a strong game against the Raiders. The Raiders linebackers are banged up, and the Colts are going to be run-centric. Carson Wentz might not be playing, which means they're that much more likely to be run-centric. And even if, so last week, the Raiders sold out to stop the run against the Broncos. And you might have seen Melvin Gordon had, I think it was negative four yards on seven carries, something crazy like that. Javante Williams did nothing. That was with Drew Locke under center. So you could make a case and say, well, won't the Raiders do the same thing this week if Carson Wentz is out? They probably will try that if Carson Wentz is out, but with injuries, COVID, et cetera, they don't really have the personnel to match up with this really strong Colts run game. And Jonathan Taylor is just a different breed of running back. So the chances of him hitting a 36-pointer will probably be a little bit lower if Carson Wentz is out. Chance of him hitting 4X will be a little bit lower. We also know that his pass game role is not big. And if Carson Wentz is out, they're probably going to be running the ball that much more. In fact, even if Carson Wentz plays, they're probably running the ball that much more given the matchup, given the setup. So we're looking at Jonathan Taylor as a yardage and touchdown back, which typically means, hey, there are more ways that he can fail. But he has, what, 19 touchdowns on the season. His chances of not scoring a touchdown are pretty low. His chances of not going for 100 yards are pretty low. And so he can get you to that 17, 19, 20, 24 point range, even if he disappoints. So he's a solid play this week, but I don't view him as a must play. So what I mean by that is I don't, I think it's less likely that Jonathan Taylor is the player who's winning us a tournament this week. Now, this is my opinion. This is the way I'm seeing the slate. So balance this with what else you're reading, with who else you trust, and with your own thoughts and the way you've been thinking through this slate. But Jonathan Taylor is a player who, if the salary works out, he's absolutely going on my roster. But if I decide to dive into a Mahomes and Kelsey and Hill stack, well, then I probably don't have the salary to get up to Jonathan Taylor. Now, what's interesting here is, so again, I say that to say, I don't mind not having Jonathan Taylor because I think he probably gets to, you know, 25 to 30 points. But if he does, that doesn't kill me because from the salary spent, right, if I spend that salary on the Chiefs instead and they end up going for 4x or better with a larger chunk of my salary, or if I go Mahomes, Hill, Williams, and they end up going for 4.5x, 4.25x with this larger chunk of my salary, I'm in better shape than if I had rostered Jonathan Taylor and tried to force that play. But what's interesting is I still think Jonathan Taylor has a really strong game here. So one of the ways that we can take advantage of that is if Jonathan Taylor is having a strong game, we know that that means big runs. We know that means explosive runs. We know that that means touchdowns. He's not the kind of guy who we're just saying, hey, he gets 30 carries and piles up 110 yards, right? We're saying he's going to break off some long runs. He is going to shorten this game, right? The culture run heavy, but if Jonathan Taylor's ripping off long runs, that's still, they're, they're scoring quickly. They're scoring on seven, eight play drives and the Raiders get the ball back. The Raiders are then already in a matchup where they're likelier to tilt pass heavy. And then if Jonathan Taylor is having a big game, that means the Raiders are either falling behind or, or they're somehow keeping pace with this big game Jonathan Taylor is getting, which again, increases passing volume. On a team that doesn't have Darren Waller, that has basically that has uh, Hunter Renfro, Zay Jones, and Foster Moreau. Now, Renfro actually sets up really well in this spot as well. I like Renfro, but you have to pay up for him. And so one of the ways to actually get exposure to Jonathan Taylor having a big game is through Foster Moreau and Zay Jones. Hunter Renfro as well, but if you're kind of paying up in that 6K range at wide receiver, you're probably thinking about ways to get up to Jonathan Taylor anyway. So it's interesting to me that you can actually roster these 
Raiders pass catchers as a way to sort of say, look, I don't have Jonathan Taylor on this roster, but I still think Jonathan Taylor has a big game. Rather than betting on Jonathan Taylor disappointing, I will bet on Jonathan Taylor having a big game and the Raiders passing more. Now, if Jonathan Taylor disappoints and this game ends up being, you know, a game where the Colts score 15, 16 points, 21 points, something like that. Well, the Raiders are probably playing a little bit more conservative and trying to win at the end, which actually hurts these pass catchers. So again, betting on these guys is a way of saying, look, I don't have Jonathan Taylor on this roster, but I certainly think Jonathan Taylor is going to have a good game. So here's a way for me to sort of get some exposure to what can happen if Jonathan Taylor is having his 25-pointer, his 30-pointer, and even his 36-pointer, right? I'm still being carried up by that score. Over on Cooper Cup, Cooper Cup, it's interesting because the Ravens have been torched by wideouts this year, but they've been primarily torched because of all the big plays they've given up. They've given up the third most yards to wideouts, the seventh most touchdowns to wideouts, but 16 teams have allowed more receptions to wideouts than the Ravens. So Cooper Cup, he should be able to torch this beleaguered, no-name Raven secondary. But coming off of the week in which Jamar Chase and T. Higgins absolutely lit this secondary on fire, and the perception that most people are going to have of Cooper Cup in this game as a result, well, the reality is that the that T. Higgins and Jamar Chase line up perfectly to take advantage of the deficiencies of the Ravens' pass defense. Whereas Cooper Cup, again, he's going to torch them, but he's not in a, he is not in a as good of a spot this week as Jamar Chase and T. Higgins were in last week. So his volume is going to be more bankable. It's going to be higher than those guys, right? We know he's going to get his 11, 12, 13, 14 targets. We know he's going to have a strong game. But what I mean by this is this matchup isn't as big of a boost to his production expectations as other matchups. So this is not talking down Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup's going to be a blue chip in the player grid this week. And Cooper Cup is, you know, he he's posted lots of 30-plus point games in matchups that didn't give him a significant boost. But again, this is a, a soft secondary. It's a secondary he can beat, but it's not a as big of a boost to his production expectations as the field is likely going to assume because Cooper Cup's average depth of target is like, I think it's 8.3, 8.2 yards downfield, whereas the Ravens are getting torched on these downfield passes. So one of the ways to take advantage of if you don't have Cooper Cup on a roster is doing a couple things. One, saying the Ravens, the, the Rams are likely to still be pass heavy here. The Ravens have faced the fourth highest opponent pass play rate in the NFL this year. The Rams are not likely to just con- consistently test the Ravens on the ground. Now, Sony Michelle is still going to get his 20 touches on the ground, his 18 touches on the ground, whatever it is. But if the, Ra- if the Rams end up running 65 plays, which would be pretty much what you would expect here, right? We could still see Stafford drop back 42, 43 times and end up unleashing 37, 38, 39, 40 pass attempts. On top of that, Sony Michelle is not going to get many targets. That's not, I mean, the Rams already don't use running backs super heavily in the pass game, but Sony Michelle in particular is not going to be heavily used in the pass game. So maybe he gets two, three, four dump off targets, but things are going to be designed to go to Higby, to go to Odell Beckham, to go to Van Jefferson, and to go to Cooper Cup. So as we saw last week, it's possible for this passing attack to just fail. Last week's matchup was a super soft matchup as well. So it's possible for the, uh, in fact, let's look at the the Vikings. The Vikings are one of only two teams that has allowed more passing yards to wide receivers than the Ravens. The Vikings are tied with the Ravens in passing touchdowns allowed. And the Vikings have allowed 27 more receptions to wide receivers than the Ravens. So that was an even softer matchup last week than this week's matchup. So Stafford could certainly disappoint in this spot. But we should also go into this game recognizing the Rams are probably throwing the ball close to or over 40 times. And those targets are pretty much being split among four guys. And so if Cooper Cup, if you don't have Cooper Cup on your roster, it's likely that one of these cheaper Rams, or I should say this, sorry, if if Cooper Cup doesn't hit, 
if he only goes for 20, 22, 25 points, quote, only, it's likely that one of these cheaper guys hits for their price tag. So if we want to step out of the game of predicting and just get into DFS theory, one of the sharpest things you can do this week is if you don't have Cup on a roster, consider one of these other Rams wide receivers. So I like Cooper Cup a lot, uh, same as Jonathan Taylor. If he fits on a roster, I'm going to be putting him in there. But my focus is on this Chiefs stack, the uh, the Cardinals and Cowboys stacks, these games that could end up being the higher scoring games on the slate. Now, if I end up with Trey Lance as my quarterback, then that opens things up elsewhere where I could say, hey, maybe I can fit in Jonathan Taylor, Cooper Cup, and some pieces from these other stacks. So we'll see how all of that comes together on my end. But if I'm not playing Cooper Cup, I definitely want to be considering saying, look, not, I don't want to just play not play Cooper Cup and say, well, now I don't have him. I want to say if I don't have him, my clearest path to first place is him putting up one of his 18 to 20 to 22 to 25 point games. And if he puts up that type of game, it's pretty likely that one of these other, this is a pretty concentrated offense now, right? There's four guys catching passes, Higby, Van Jefferson, Odell Beckham, Cup, and then there's one running back, Sony Michelle. Uh, Henderson's on IR. Cam Akers is not going to get touches this week. If he does, it's just going to be a couple of them. Jake Funk is probably going to be the backup here. So, you know, this is a very concentrated offense. So if Cooper Cup is not blowing up the slate, there's probably somebody else, all these guys priced 5K, 4K, whatever they're priced at. One of these guys is probably putting up a really nice game. So that brings us to the Chiefs stack. Last thing I want to note here is there are two ways for the Chiefs to have a big game. I'll, I'll touch on this in the player grid as well. But one way is the Chiefs just have a statement game against the Bengals. Think about this. We're, we're two weeks away from the season ending. The Chiefs had all this negative talk surrounding them all season. They're not the same anymore, blah, blah, blah. And now we're two weeks away from the end of the season, and they need two wins to guarantee that they have the only bye in the AFC and that they get to play the AFC championship game at Arrowhead and try to make it to the third Super Bowl in a row. And here come the Bengals, who just smashed the Ravens, who are in first place in their division, and who technically still have an outside shot at landing the number one seed. Would it surprise you if the Chiefs come out aggressive here and try to demoralize the Bengals, try to beat them 41 to 14, one of those types of games? If that happens, you could take four pieces from the Chiefs and no pieces from the Bengals. Again, we always want to think about price tags. So sure, the Bengals will put up some production, but they're all priced up. All of the guys who could put up a big game are priced up. So there is definitely a defense for just a Chiefs onslaught stack. As many as four Chiefs players and say, hey, this can keep you on a 200-point pace. Or three Chiefs players and hope that you get the right combo that can keep you on a 230, 240, 250 point pace and have nothing from the Bengals. The other way for this to play out is for this to be, and I say that about the 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 Chiefs just wanting to put their stamp on this game and that being a potential way for this to play out. Because otherwise you could have a blowout game where the Chiefs kind of take their foot off the gas down the stretch. One of the things that I've had a fun time studying recently is a lot of these games where we get big DFS scores in blowout wins almost all of them, the team that wins is playing against a team that has a capable offense. So in other words, if you're playing the Jets and you're up by a ton, you're less likely to keep your foot on the gas deep into the game because it's easy to run the ball and you're not afraid of the Jets coming back. But if you're playing one of these teams, the Titans early in the season or the Ravens, or the Bengals, or the Chargers, like we've seen these teams get blown out and the opponents keep their foot on the gas deep into the game because the thought is we can't let this team turn this game around, gain momentum, and start coming back. So we're going to stay aggressive on offense. So we could see that type of setup from the Chiefs, and I think it's it's a very viable way for this game to play out, and it would be an under-owned way for the stack to be built. The other way I see this stack coming together is the likeliest way or the likeliest player on the Bengals to go for 4x their salary in a game that's back and forth, in a game that's something like 31 to 34. The likeliest player to go 4x his salary is Joe Mixon. 
because the Chiefs are easier attacked on the ground. The Chiefs give up a lot of passing production to running backs. The Chiefs do a great job limiting targets and production to wide receivers. Only seven teams have allowed fewer yards to wideouts this year than the, than the Chiefs, and that's even with A, them having that really rough stretch at the start of the season, and B, them typically putting up a lot of points and forcing opponents to pass the ball. So the chances of T. Higgins or Jamar Chase going for 4x or better, their high salary is quite a bit lower than the chances of Joe Mixon being the guy who is getting a lot of work on the ground, getting a lot of work through the air, and scoring the touchdowns. Now, there's also a path where the Bengals score 31 points and none of their players go for 4x their salary because maybe Higgins and Chase get the touchdowns or Uzoma steals a touchdown and Boyd gets a touchdown and Mixon's picking up the yards between the 20s, but he's not getting the touchdowns, so he's not going up to 30 points, right? There's ways for things to play out like that. But if I'm stacking this with a bring back, I am by far likeliest to do it with Joe Mixon, which basically says, hey, I'm going to try to unlock a game environment where both teams are scoring points. The points in the Bengals are coming through Mixon. The points in the Chiefs are coming through Mahomes plus Kelsey or Hill plus Daryl Williams or plus the other of Kelsey or Hill. So that brings us to our bottom-up build. And I'm going to start with Joe Mixon and Travis Kelsey. So salary was not going to work out for me to fit in... uh, for me to fit in Tyreek Hill on this roster without me making sacrifices that I did not want to make. There were ways to do it, but I ended up going with, or, or, or sorry, I should say there were ways to do it, but not with Joe Mixon on the roster. And so I ended up going with, uh, the, the Joe Mixon, Travis Kelsey play and saying, let me unlock, let me unlock a big game from this uh, big game environment here by saying Mixon ends up hitting and that leads to Kelsey hitting and Hill ends up not putting up one of his monster games. You know, maybe he puts up 22, 25 and I'm hoping for Kelsey to put up 28 or so. The next step on this roster was filling in some salary savers to make sure that if this hit, now keep in mind that this is viable if you're going with the full stack. If you're going Mahomes in, in with a 50K salary cap, Mahomes, Kelsey, Hill, Mixon, you're going to need to save some salary. Well, if that combo keeps you on a 200 plus point pace, then your cheaper guys, if they can get you 3X to 4X, they're basically still keeping you on that 200 plus point pace, as we talked about, right? If you spend... If you get Mahomes, Kelsey, Hill, and Mixon, you're spending almost 31K in salary. I think that's 30.9K in salary. So if you get 4X from 31K in salary, then getting 3X from one of your cheap guys isn't hurting you, right? That's the difference of losing three or four points. So you can get these expensive guys and say, look, this is where I'm placing my bet. Let me hope that these guys go for a 210, 220 point pace. And then if some of my cheaper guys only go for a 3X salary multiplier, no big deal. If they go for 4X or better, great. So a couple salary savers that I really like this week. One is Braxton Berrios. Braxton Berrios, we've got no Jamison Crowder. We've got... Uh, no Corey Davis. We've got no Elijah Moore. And we've got a matchup against the Bucks, who are going to force the Jets to throw the ball quite a bit. So we always want to look for these opportunities where, again, dynamic pricing doesn't exist anymore. So opportunities where a team is going to tilt much heavier in a particular direction than, than they typically do, and therefore volume is going to be much higher than it typically is in this type of setup. So uh, Braxton Berrios at 3,700, it's pretty, it's funny to say, but it's pretty high probability that he sees double-digit targets. We could even just say that he sees nine or more targets. But Braxton Berrios seeing nine or more targets, look, he's not going to average more than 10 yards per catch. But six catches for 50 yards at 3,700 is pretty solid. And I actually think there's a good shot that he sees something like eight catches for 70 or even nine catches for 70, nine catches for 80. And if he pops in a touchdown on top of that, he ends up being one of the stronger plays on the slate. So Braxton Berrios at 3,700 is a really clear and obvious easy way to save salary here. The next salary saver, and this is a player who uh, I was actually kind of surprised ownership projections have him uh, close to 10%. Some of the ownership projections I've seen, I thought nobody was going to spot this guy, but Deontay Harris 
it on the uh, New Orleans Saints, Deontay Harris has averaged 9.4 fantasy points per game, and he costs only 3K. Uh, he's one of these players who DraftKings has been doing this where when a player's on IR or when they're suspended or whatever, their their price keeps dropping. And so if the player is sort of like suddenly active and DraftKings doesn't readjust their price, they're now priced way lower than they had been or should be. So Deontay Harris probably looking at four, five, six, seven, eight targets. That's been his typical range. Uh, he posted 19.9 DraftKings points his last time on the field. His likeliest output with Taysom Hill under center in a game where the Saints should be running the ball a decent amount, his likeliest output is like seven, eight, nine points. So he's not a guy I'm prioritizing, but if I need him in order to unlock a 31K player who could go for 4X their salary, I'll take it. Because if Deontay Harris gets eight points instead of his 4X, which would be 12 points, again, that's only four points I'm losing, so it doesn't hurt me that much. And again, on this bottom-up build, he allows me to unlock something that most other people won't have, which is Joe Mixon and Travis Kelsey combo uh, with a 44K salary cap. So right now we have Joe Mixon, we have Travis Kelsey, we have Braxton Berrios, we have Deontay Harris. Two more salary savers here. One, Foster Moreau. We don't typically do the two tight end setup, but we've talked about this lately and the different reasons why it actually makes a lot more sense right now than it typically does. We actually dove into this pretty deeply in Inner Circle a couple weeks back. So Foster Moreau, if we compare him at 3,800 to the other players priced around him, he is a much better play than basically any of the wide receivers priced around him. We take his likeliest target expectation. If everything falls apart, he still probably gets six targets. And if things come together, he gets nine, 10 targets. Now, he's not capable of putting up the Marquez Valdez-Scantling at 3,900, 3,800 type of game. Marquez Valdez-Scantling at 3,800 can put up 25 points. Donovan Peoples-Jones at 3,800 can put up 25 points. 100 plus yards, two touchdowns on three or four catches, right? Foster Moreau isn't going to do that. But there aren't really other players available this week who can do that. And... I'm looking at a setup where I am spending my salary on guys who I think can potentially go for 5X, guys who can potentially blow away what I need from them. And so if I can get Foster Moreau getting 14 to 20 points, that puts me in tremendous shape. As we already talked about, six catches for 60 yards and a touchdown is not a crazy stat line here. I mean, that's probably... 80th percentile stat line, maybe even 75th percentile stat line here for Foster Moreau. In other words, 20, 25% of the time, he's putting up that type of output here. And even when he misses, he's probably still getting 10, 11, 12, 13 points in this spot. So Foster Moreau is another guy who sort of unlocks the ability to pay up in some other spots and makes things very interesting on the uh, in the 50K game that we'll all be playing this week, where you could pay up for one of these bigger stacks and use Foster Moreau as a way to unlock things, either in your tight end spot or even in the flex spot. Then the last salary saver is Trey Lance at 4,800. And I will definitely be playing around with Trey Lance rosters this week, including Trey Lance plus Daryl Williams plus Tyreek Hill, or Trey Lance plus Daryl Williams plus... Travis Kelsey. Now, if I'm playing Kelsey and Hill, then I'm expecting that Patrick Mahomes has a 36 plus point game. In fact, in all four games where Hill has hit this year, Mahomes has gone for, I believe it's 32 plus in every game that Hill has hit in this year. So you really need Trey Lance to what? You're saving 3,500 in salary. So he only needs to be within 14 points of Mahomes. So if Mahomes puts up 32 points and Trey Lance puts up 18 points, you're still basically keeping case, keeping pace from a salary multiplier standpoint, assuming that that 3,500 is allowing you to pick up those extra points somewhere else. So if that allows you to go up to Jonathan Taylor or allows you to go up to Cooper Cup or allows you to do something unique and special somewhere else on your roster. But if I'm playing Kelsey and Hill, I'm assuming that Mahomes is putting up like 35, 36, 38, 39 points. And in that scenario, I probably don't want to go with Trey Lance. But if I'm going with just one of these pass catchers or one of these pass catchers plus Daryl Williams, who might be able to run in a touchdown or two and take away passing touchdowns from Mahomes, Trey Lance actually works really well 
in that type of setup. Trey Lance put up about 16 fantasy points against Arizona earlier in the season. He had 16 rush attempts. They're playing the Texans this week. The only concern really is a potential blowout win where they end up protecting Trey Lance by not having him run that much. But I think it's highly likely that we see him run the ball 10 to 12 times at minimum this week. He'll probably throw the ball only about 20 times, pick up maybe 150 passing yards through the air, which would be, you know, five, six passing points. But if he can add 60, 70, 80, 90 yards on the ground, six, seven, eight, nine points on the ground, and then any touchdowns he gets are is just upside over that. Or if he gets up to 100 yards, he gets a 100-yard bonus. That's upside over that. So there's a lot to like about Trey Lance at only 4,800. He's not going to go overlooked, but you can play him in some really unique ways by saying, hey, I'm focused on the Cardinals stack or the Cowboys stack or the Chiefs stack. I'm focused on one of these spots, but I'm going to play Trey Lance as the quarterback to save all this salary and hope that I can kind of get everything to come together here. Actually, I was having in my head... Um, Mahomes price at 8,300, but Mahomes price, now that I think about it, is 7,800. So 3K, Mahomes has to outscore Lance by about 12 points. So again, Lance really needs to get up to like, if you're playing Lance over Mahomes on a Chiefs passing attack roster, you need Lance optimally to get up to like 24, 25 points to make it worth it. Because then maybe Mahomes quote only puts up 32, 33 and you, you know, you gain those extra points in that extra salary. So, uh, but Trey Lance makes a lot of sense on the, on the big, you know, 50 K salary cap game that we'll all be playing and on this bottom up build. So that gives us right now, Trey Lance, Joe Mixon, Braxton Berrios, Deontay Harris, Travis Kelsey, Foster Moreau, throw in the Dolphins defense who at 2,800 is a very obvious play. I won't spend a lot of time on this one, but they should get three, four, five sacks against the Titans. They should force one or two turnovers against the Titans. So tally up those numbers. Even if they give up over 14 points, you get one point from scoring, you get three, four, five points from the sacks, and you get two to four points from the turnovers. And then there's potential for them to hold the Titans down to a lower score. There's potential for them to get extra turnovers, extra sacks, potential for defense, special teams, touchdowns. So at 2,800, it's going to be tough for the Dolphins to not get at least six, seven, eight, nine points. And more than likely, the the likeliest range for the Dolphins is about 8 to 12 points with, again, we've seen them get plenty of 16, 18, 20-plus point games over the last month and a half. Uh, And certainly that that is in the mix here for the Dolphins this week. So Dolphins defense at 2,800, and that leaves two spots on the roster. So rather than going down to another cheap wide receiver, the cheapest wide receiver I really could have felt comfortable with is Zay Jones, but I already have Foster Moreau on this roster. And so I didn't want to pull sort of the the double decker there. Um, And so what I did was I ended up going with Odell Beckham, basically saying I don't have Cooper Cup on this roster and I am going to assume that other people with a 44K salary cap are going to get creative in ways to prioritize Cooper Cup. Look, I was able to fit Travis Kelsey and Joe Mixon. That's almost 15K in combined salary for these two players. So other people can certainly find a way, right? You take, instead of Kelsey at 7,300 and Mixon at 7,500, somebody else could take one of these 5,800 running backs and a, a cheap tight end, and now they've opened up a lot of extra salary for getting up to Cooper Cup. So there would certainly be people, right? right? We'll see it in the bottom-up build. 200 people with a 44K salary cap, there's going to be some exposure to Cooper Cup. So since I don't have Cooper Cup, and since he can put up a huge game, what I want to do is account for my, my clearest path to first place being Cooper Cup disappointing for those rosters and knocking maybe 10% of the rosters out of the running and me getting these points from Odell Beckham instead, who will also be lower owned. So that's just some DFS theory. Odell Beckham at 5,700 obviously has upside for 20 to 25 points in this matchup against the Ravens. And then that leaves me with, we've talked a lot about uh, Daryl Williams. Uh, I also like Chase Edmonds, but I am going to settle on Devin Singletary because he makes the salary work. He's the last piece on this roster, and I don't want to rock the boat by making sacrifices in other spots. If you kind of look at this roster, right, there's nowhere to go lower than Trey Lance at, at, um, at, sorry, at quarterback. There's, um, 
Nowhere to go lower than Braxton Berrios and Deontay Harris at wide receiver. Foster Moreau is as cheap as we can get in this. Flex savings. Dolphins is as cheap as we can get for a defense that can clearly give us 15 plus points. If we go off Travis Kelsey and Joe Mixon, we're doing something totally different with this roster. So really the only thing I could do is instead of Odell Beckham, I could go down to Van Jefferson, save 400, and that would allow me to go from Devin Singletary up to Daryl Williams. But what I'm going to do on this roster is leave Odell Beckham in and go with Devin Singletary, which gives us a final roster of Trey Lance, Joe Mixon, Devin Singletary, Odell Beckham, Braxton Berrios, Deontay Harris, Travis Kelsey, Foster Moreau, and the Dolphins defense. 44K in salary spent, 6K in salary left over. With that, we are going to call it a wrap on this week's Angles podcast. If you are in Inner Circle, remember there's one week left to pick up the OWS for life before uh, everybody else has a shot to pick that up. Again, I don't think that 60 of them are flying off the shelf next week, but I could see another 10 to 15 going uh, to OWS annual members who... If you're, in OW, if you're in OWS Annual and you've been thinking, uh, I'll probably do Inner Circle next year, well, <laughs> OWS for Life is basically two and a half years of Inner Circle. So as soon as you've used that, uh, you can now use OWS for the rest of your life for free. So um, I think that there's probably a good chunk of uh, OWS Annual members who will jump in and scoop that up. And um, I think maybe around week three or four of the playoffs will probably... Uh, be out of these original 200 OWS for Life memberships. So again, there are 86 remaining as I record this. If you're in Inner Circle, you still have exclusive access to that until next Thursday. So you can find that in the Oracle. You can find that in the Player Grid. And with that, I will see you on the site throughout the weekend. I will have the Player Grid. Um, if you're listening to this Friday night or Saturday, it's already up. But um, depending on how things are going with the family and and what I need to be doing. I will um, have that up this evening, Friday evening, and then I'll have an update up on uh, on Sunday morning for any final thoughts that I have based on late news or anything else I have to sort through. So with that, I will see you on the site throughout the weekend. I will see you at the top of the leaderboards once again in week 17.